Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we are so glad that you have uh, made a decision to uh, join us today. If it wasn't your decision and somebody's making you watch this or listen to this or, or made you come here today, I'm still glad you're here. I don't care how you got here. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here. Today we'll be uh, uh, finishing... Well, sort of continuing uh, our walk through the book of Genesis. We'll be in chapter 38. Uh, so we have been uh, at Genesis since January. So we're about to complete, uh, men here in the room, uh, nine months that we have been uh, in the book of Genesis today. And and, uh, and we'll be taking on that chapter and uh, as we, we continue uh, to work through it. A couple of things I want you to be aware of, you know, this Wednesday Bible Studies part of an ongoing men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com. And we had a big announcement uh, today. If you are watching this or listening to this or attending this, uh, it would be on that day, uh, on the 28th day of uh, September uh, 2022, we announced today that coming in February of 2023 will be the first ever Man Church Conference. And uh, we're going to be doing this. We thought this would be a cool idea uh, to do this in my hometown of Oxford, Alabama, mainly, uh, you know, the obvious tie-in because that's where I grew up, but also because it's got a great central location, uh, you know, in the middle of all the different churches all over the country. It's an easy place to get to. Uh, so uh, it, this is going to be a, a little different format than than the conferences maybe that you've attended uh, before. And and uh, now we're still partnering with other conferences. If they invite us, I, I'm still going to be speaking at other conferences, and we have great relationships with other conferences. But, you know, when, when you're somebody's guest, uh, you know, we're not really um, um, a ministry that's just trying to come to our table, here's a book, here's a T-shirt, here's a hat. We're really trying to implement a full-blown uh, discipleship strategy. So uh, sometimes that doesn't lend itself to just having a table in the lobby and, and being guest at another conference. We're certainly glad to do that. So we started thinking, what if we put together something uh, this will be going into our third year in 2023. What, what if we put together something that felt a little more like a convention? Meaning if you're doing the strategy and uh, you're one of the over 540-something churches that are doing it, everybody uh, sends men's groups uh, from all over. We all come to one place, uh, and we, we we will have speakers and teachers that you hear us talking about all the time that go out and do the man churches. We'll have a, a load of those. Rich Wingo will be uh, teaching. I'll be teaching two sessions Andy Blanks will be teaching a session, and we do have one special guest, uh, and that is um, uh, Recab Gray, which is a young pastor that you're going to love. Chuck Hooten will be leading the, the praise and worship, uh, and but we're also going to have an opportunity, if you're a church leader or you're someone who desires to hear more about what we're doing, we're going to have a breakfast on that Saturday. Well, I'll be there answering any questions you may have. Helmsy from our team that, that helps train facilitators and teachers, he'll be there to answer questions. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, we're going to be you know hearing from men. We're going to have sessions. We're going to have praise and worship. But this is going to have a little more commitment to the discipleship uh, side of things that, that a lot of conferences just don't do. So we're going to be trying to implement a full strategy of a high challenge 
and high equipping, and uh, you can kind of get together, and uh, almost like when Apple has their annual convention, we'll also be revealing the latest things we have for you. Uh, our fourth curriculum will be coming out, and I uh, started on that yesterday. Adler and I did. I'm real excited about it. It's going to be called Impact. Uh, and then we'll also be debuting some new resources and, and an opportunity for all the churches to discuss, here's what's working for us, uh, here's what we have questions about, uh, hey, I'm just here because I want to find out how to implement this into our church. So uh, we hope that you'll make plans to be with us. We also have a, um, a friend of mine that I grew up with has a great entertainment venue there called Big Time Entertainment. And, I mean, it's got the old – you know, the, you've seen these go karts are almost like real race cars. You know, they, they they have those, and they've got bowling, and they've got every all kinds of stuff we can do recreational and putt putt. So your ticket's going to get you uh, huge discounts there to take your men there and have some fun with it after the conference is over on Saturday. So if you would like to get tickets for your group or just for yourself, uh, also ladies that are watching this, great idea for Christmas gifts since uh, the conference will be coming up in February. Just go to themanchurch.com and you'll see the logo right there on the homepage. Click on it, uh, and it'll get you right to where you can get your tickets. Another thing we're doing that is different, uh, you don't have to stand outside and rush in and try to grab a seat. These are reserve seats. Uh, we're at the Performing Arts uh, uh, Center, which is a great venue, so you always have your seat. It's there for you every day. Uh, we're not doing a bunch of ticket charges. The, the price you actually see is all you're paying. Uh, so there's no surprises coming either. So uh, you can do that now by going to themanchurch.com. Go ahead and get your seats. And also the prices for these seats obviously will go up um, You know, once we get to the other side of Christmas. Um, so go ahead and get them now. The early bird specials are happening now at themanchurch.com. Speaking of the Man Church, um, we do have one coming up this Sunday night too. Andy Blanks will be at Cascade Hills Church in Columbus, Georgia. So Andy will be there. They'll be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. So I guess they'll be church number 542, I think, or something like that. So that kicks off on Sunday night in Columbus, Georgia, with Andy Blanks if you want to be there. You can find that also at themanchurch.com under upcoming events. So let's uh, open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into today. Uh, Lord, thank you for an opportunity to open up your word today. May we glean all that you intend for us to glean. May you open up our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that you will uh, help us perfectly discern what you are teaching and that the power of the Holy Spirit will take away all my imperfections as a fallen teacher uh, and all the imperfections of the men in the room from fatigue. Uh, and, and may we also hear it uh, the way you intend it perfectly through the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're thankful for Jerry. Uh, in his ongoing battle uh, in here with his back surgery that he's gotten home now. Some of the guys here in, 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 the, in the group going to see him today. What a celebration. I'm so glad to hear he's improving, Lord. Thank you for the answer to prayer. We continue to play, pray for Bubba uh, in his ongoing battle, Lord, and uh, may he get good news next week on the pathology report uh, involving his liver and the cancer that's been removed there. Uh, may that be all that needs to be done, Lord, uh, but we pray that he will ultimately be healed from that. And But we pray the way you told us to, uh, that your will be done. Uh, and we pray these things, Lord. I pray for the new conference idea. Lord, I pray that we, we felt like you were guiding us in this direction so we, we know that you're in it. And, Lord, if this is not the direction you'd have us go, uh, we'll learn that too. But, Lord, may we, we want you to be um, guiding us in everything that, that we're doing. And may none of it be of our own accord, may it be to glorify you and just simply be obedient to your call to make disciples. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so 
Moses uh, gets us started, you know, in the narrative of Joseph, and and we all think, well, here we go. Uh, we 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 last week the brothers did what they did, and we see Potiphar come into the picture, uh, and we know in thirty nine we're going to get into the thing with Joseph and Potiphar. But all of a sudden, here's thirty eight. Um, all of a sudden, Moses says, "I got to talk to you about Judah," uh, and and you're almost kind of like, why 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 are we why are we not moving on uh, to to Joseph? since he becomes the main narrative here for the rest of Genesis. Well, he really isn't the main narrative. You know, we talked about last week, we say Joseph is the main narrative, but but he really isn't. There's a lot going on, including Judah. Now, if you you are pretty familiar with Scripture, you probably know why we're going to land on Judah, because Judah is going to be the line uh, that God is going to use all the way to Christ. Uh, Jesus is the line of Judah. So this is going to be the 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 son uh, that will be uh, of of the twelve that will take us to our Messiah. So it's extremely important that we kind of follow along what's happening with Judah. Now you're also going to notice the reason why we're going into Judah now is because you're going to watch a process start to take place that God is going to take this very imperfect man and He's going to start working on him to change him. Uh, and then you're going to see before we're done uh, with Genesis, you're going to start seeing some of that change that makes Judah look a lot more like he's going to be the tribe that will produce Messiah than maybe he does right now. So so kind, kind of keep all that in, in the back of your mind. So uh, let's, let's also uh, kind of give you an idea because you're going to see Judah being married. You're going to see him with three sons. You're going to see two of his sons are dead. And so you're going to like, well, how is all this happening? Uh, when when the last thing we heard, he and his brothers were. So it's going to be it's 22 years before Joseph is going to be reconciled to his brothers. Okay, so plenty of time is passing uh, for um, for him to uh, Judah to be married. Um, you know, since uh, Joseph went into slavery, uh, to have three sons, to bury two of them, and then have to bury his wife as well and then get involved with this horrible deal with Tamar. So um, so this, this is important because anything involving the royal tribe of Judah is crucial, right? Uh, so this, this is the line that gives us Messiah. And without this chapter, we also would not – now think about – remember the Bible is also very practical. If we don't have this chapter – when we get to Matthew 1-3 and Matthew's cranking out the genealogy all the way to Jesus, we don't know who Tamar and Perez even are. So, we, so, so we're going to know who they are because of this chapter. So, so that, that, that's also why it's important. So, so let's, uh, let's look at verses 1-3. through three. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adolamite whose name was Harab. Uh, there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and he went into her and she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Ur. I don't, I mean, you talk about getting simple with the name. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, so, so we, we know that, uh, that Judah is, 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 is going to marry this woman. Uh, we know the last time we saw him, he was he was mentioned in a group, and the only person that we ever of the brothers that was talked about separate was Joseph. Well, now Moses is going to take Judah out of the group, and we're going to just talk about Judah for a while. 
Okay. And uh, he, so he has now separated himself from the group as well and is living with the uh, Dolomites. Uh, and he's taken a new friend, hurrah. And there's no doubt this person has taken a position of trust and importance. And you'll see that throughout this chapter. So um, also we see uh, that the relations between the Canaanites and Abraham's descendants were much easier now. They, they weren't as volatile. Uh, and Judah, uh, uh, you know, carries it further than he should because we know uh, that the, throughout Abraham, Isaac, and now Judah, uh, or Israel, what do we keep seeing a theme over and over again? A warning about taking wives from the Canaanites. God has been saying this over and over and over, don't marry the Canaanites. But yet these men keep marrying the Canaanites. And remember when God says not to do something and we do it, we should not be shocked when it doesn't go well. Right? Because if it, it, it you know if if it goes well, then you're like, well God's being unreasonable. Uh he's trying to say and why? Because these people a wife is going to have influence over a husband, and you're going to see some of this. It's going to cost his sons their lives. And so when he decides to marry into the Canaanites, you saw it with Solomon. Uh, you, you, you see this over and over again. These women, when they're unequally yoked, always have a negative impact on the, the, the man who decided to do it, who was part of the of the covenant race of God's people. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, it does apply. We're, we're, we're now of the new covenant. We are the church. And God has told us not to be unequally yoked. Don't go and marry single guys in the room. Hear me loud and clear. Do not marry people outside of the faith. Don't marry women that are not Christians, that are not followers of Jesus. Don't do it. I, see, I'm washing my hands of that now because I've been saying that over and over again. And if you do it and it ends up causing problems in your family, it, I'm always amazed at people that marry people outside of their faith and then the children are born. And I can't tell you the number of people I've sat down with. I bet some of y'all have too. Well, you know, uh, she wants our kids to be raised in, in this denomination or, or this religion. And, uh, you know, and of course I'm a Christian and, and 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 they're they're either Muslim or, or Jewish or you know or uh, you know uh, Mormon and I'm not a Mormon and then I'm thinking to myself, did you think this would never be an issue? How did you think this was going to go? So we do not marry people and and single women. If you're watching this right now, don't marry guys that aren't followers of Jesus. You're not going to fix them. Okay, so so don't do that. When you're going to enter into marriage, and I know some of us, we entered into marriage and we were both lost, and then we've come to know Christ, or you came to know Christ before your spouse did, that's a different game. But when you are a follower of Christ and you knowingly begin to date and then marry someone outside the faith, you're you're foolish. That's that's not what you're told to do. You're It's so much easier for somebody if, to pull you in to – to where they are than any non-believer being pulled to the faith through marriage. If you want to try to lead them to Christ, that's great. You do that before you marry them. Because once you get inside that holy covenant of marriage, it's going to be a problem. And so this is why uh, this warning has been 
coming from God to his people over and over again, and we see that it's happened again. So, but you kind of see Judah kind of, you know, he were, and a lot of the commentaries that I was reading, um, Ferguson said this, um, Waresby said this, is, is one of the things that, that you keep noticing is that Judah, at this state of his life, he reminds a lot of people, theologians, of Samson. You know, Judah says, see a woman, like her, I'll take her. Kind of like Samson did. You know, this was Samson's problem. And Judah is just basically a hound. I mean, when he when he sees a woman he wants, he just takes them. Uh, and and so, uh, and he reminds me a lot of Samson. I, I agree with the commentators. And uh, and then of course he'll consummate the marriage, and then they conceive children, and then here we go. Uh, so she has one, and as you'll see, she's going to have two more. Uh, let's get to verse five. So she conceived again and bore a son, and and she called him Onan. Hang on to him. Yet again, she bore a son, uh, bore another son, and she called his name uh, Shelah. And then Judah at the at, at this time was uh, was in um, uh, Shezeb, which is how you say that, or Shezeb, when she bore him. All right. So now we know that Judah has gone and married a Canaanite woman. They've cranked out three sons. Okay. And now look what, the, what, what what's happening now. Judah is going through a process of God going to change him. So he's having children with pagan women. And how about this? Let's just write this down. Okay, everybody write this down. Having children with pagan women is always a mistake. Okay? I'm going to repeat that again. Having children with pagan women, ladies, having children with pagan men is always a mistake. Don't reproduce with pagans. Can we take that away in here? Okay? Leave pagans alone. Try to point them to Jesus, and if they won't be going, if they will not uh, repent and be redeemed by Jesus, don't have babies with them. So, uh, so here's what happens. So, uh, verses six through eleven, and Judah took uh, a wife for from Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Underline that because she's going to be in the lineage of Jesus, believe it or not. Uh, but Ur, Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. That's wicked. Okay? So it doesn't even – Moses doesn't even waste time with everything. He just just trust me, this guy. So this son – so Judah – okay, Judah is, a, is, the, is the number two oldest son of, of – of, is he three? Is it two? I think he's number two, isn't he? It's the first one. Oh, then it's Judah. So he's he's with he's he's with uh, Jacob. He's going to be in the line all the way to Messiah. Okay. And here is Judah, the dad. And you know what he probably thought, like we do. Well, as long as I'm solid, it doesn't matter if his mama's solid or not. Everything will be fine. Apparently not. So you see that this paganism inside his family had so much influence on the son that was born to him by the pagan that the pagan mama had more influence on Ur than Judah ever did, apparently. And he, he was so wicked. Do you realize how wicked during – during you know how wicked people are? Does it, do you realize how many wicked people God hasn't killed yet? Do, do you realize me being one of them? I mean, uh, I survived. Can you imagine – 
how wicked he must have been for God to say, I just got to tell you, I got to kill this guy. He, 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 I, I'm done with him. So, uh, so now that, 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 that son's gone, then Judah, now this is where everybody's been waiting on me all day long to do verses 8 through 10. They spend, they've been talking about it on the show, the guys on the show. Hey, looking forward to hear 8 through 10. Let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be crude about this. Okay, I know it's a bunch of guys in here. Uh, there's women watching, and I'm going to handle this appropriately. I'm not going to get any great detail here, and I'm not even going to read it as it's written here. And uh, I'm actually going to let Tom Haney do that. So, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I see you back there laughing, Tom. Well, let's let's also talk about what's about to happen here because when when you when you first read this, you're kind of like, what in the world? I mean, if you don't know what's going on, you 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 remember the uh, the story of Boaz? You heard the the term kinsman redeemer and all this. Well, part of uh, which also is a is showing us foreshadowing Christ too, with us needing to be redeemed uh, to be part of the family and to have the proper standing with God. But anyway. It was the culture. If a woman did not have children, she had no standing. Um, and and then keep in mind, since this was the oldest son's wife, if she if she has a child, then that child is now the heir. That child will now receive the blessing from the father. So if she doesn't get that son, it was the it was considered the moral thing to do is the unmarried next son would now take her and he would provide children for her and then that now she would have the son hopefully that uh, that the daddy needs to be the heir okay and but here's the part where you're going to see what Onan does here if the woman is barren guess who gets it now the next son so Onan doesn't really have a right to his father's blessing because he's supposed to now take his brother's wife as his wife, give her children, and now that child really isn't his. They see it as the child being his older brother's child. And so then that child, because that's his older brother's wife, and he died, and if if the husband died, then you came in and gave her a child. And so Onan is saying, but if I can pretend she's barren, then I get it. Okay, because there's been all kinds of misinterpretation of this scripture that it's some indictment on birth control or it's an indictment, you know, and that's all I'll say there. No, what what angers God is why he was doing it. Uh, He did this to try to get the blessing for himself and to pretend that Tamar was barren when she really wasn't, which we'll find out in a minute in a very bizarre way. Okay, so without going in, in... Great detail. Um, J- Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother in law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. See, that's that's the key line here. This is why he's in trouble. He he knew that it was his. So what he would do is is he when he went to pretend to do what we do with intimacy with his brother's wife, uh, to give her um, a child, what the man brings to the table to produce children, uh, he would not allow that to go into her body. Everybody got me? Okay. So, and then he pretended that she just could not conceive. 
when actually he was taking the odds of her conception way down by not completing the job. Okay. Uh, so, um, and look at verse 10 and it says, we'll look at the rest of nine. It says, so as not to give offspring to his brother. So God is not angry. God is angry because he is not fulfilling what he's supposed to do. And he is once again, this family is full of deception he is trying to deceive his father and deceive his brother's wife, even though the wife apparently knows what he's doing because she's got a plan. And he keeps telling everybody, well, I guess she's barren. It looks like the blessing goes to me. Well, this angered God, as you will see in, in, uh, in verse, um, verse 10, and what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. God is not a fan of these children from the pagan woman of the Canaanites, and um, and these are two wicked sons. Now keep in mind, when we do things that we think are so cavalier, like marrying people outside the faith, now look what this has caused now. This has caused for the, for Judah, who made the decision to go grab Canaanite women when God told him not to do it, that decision has now given him two dead sons because they're wicked. So I guess God knows what he's talking about when he tells us that certain things are not the, not the way to do things. So now God has killed two of, of, of Judah's sons. And now keep in mind, Judah keeps thinking that Tamar is the problem uh, because of the deception of this son. Verse 11 then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till see the young one here, Shalah, till, till Shalah my son grows up, for he, uh, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Here comes the deception again. So Judah says, okay, it's all good. I, I, I see that Onan, God's killed him too, but don't worry. Still going to get you the air. I need the air. Um, we're going to. I will let you have the youngest son, but he's not old enough to marry you yet. When he grows up, you can have him. Now, the reason why we know that Judah is lying is he says what he fears that if this younger son now ends up being with Tamar, that God's going to kill him too. He thinks she's the problem, and he thinks that she's barren because that's what Onan's been selling him on, who's now dead. So he's not going to follow through with this, uh, and uh, and that um, that is going to be uh, an ongoing problem with deception. But once again, Judah is going to be deceived. Have you noticed throughout this family, the deceivers also always end up getting deceived. Uh, and so now Judah is uh, is is going to have an issue because look at verse twelve. In the course of time, the wife of Judah. Uh, Shua's daughter also dies. All right, so no more kids. So now Judah at this point is left with one young son. He's got no daughter-in-laws that are pregnant. Tamar has not conceived. So it looks like right now he has no heir. I mean, the line of Judah is about to dissolve if something isn't done. Okay? Now, what we know God's not going to let that happen. Okay, so... So when Judah uh, was comforted, he went up 
to Timna to his sheep shears, and he and his friend Hurrah, he's back in, the Adulamite. So we know now that the that, that time has come for the sheep shearing. Okay, his wife is dead. So um, now Judah and his friend, they're headed up to this place, and now Tamar is going to come up with her plan to get her due, and we know that the younger son we're about to find out has grown up enough that he she should have him as a husband now, but Judah keeps keeping her from him, and Tamar realizes that Judah isn't going to do right by her. So look at this, what it says. He says, and when Tamar was told your father-in-law was going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and set at the entrance an anam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah, uh, who was grown up, or Shelah, was grown up, and she had not been given him in marriage, so she knows he's not going to do it. So uh, so when we get to, uh, to verse 15, she says, When Judah saw her, uh, he thought that she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Uh, he turned to her on the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. Okay? There's one way that you would never end up sleeping with your daughter-in-law, and that is if you decide you're not going to sleep with prostitutes. Uh, this trick doesn't work. Uh, you know. So, so keep in mind, all of, the, all of the, the plans that the adversary can devise against us as men and, of course, women who watch, do you realize if he devises a plan that would include something you would never do, it won't work? Think about that for a minute. If the if the devil's plan is the next time Rick goes to the bar and gets rowdy, I'm going to get him arrested. So what's one way that would never happen? Don't be at the bar. Okay, so so you know if if that you can't ever get me in that snare if I'm never I'm never hanging around there. You know that that that's the trying to be a man that is above reproach. Well, obviously we know Judah is is apparently not that kind of man. What does your daughter-in-law know about you if she says, I'll tell you how I can get him. I'll just dress up as a prostitute, and that ought to do it. Well, that means if he sees a prostitute, he'll he'll take one. Uh, so, you know, if, if right now some woman was trying to get you and ruin your life, and her plan was, I'll pose as a stripper, uh, because I know, uh, was there any way she's going to get you? I hope not. Because if she thinks that's going to work, that means you've got a reputation of hiring strippers. Do you see how this goes? So, so th- th- this is the this is the way we have to look at our lives. If some if if if, if somebody says, "I tell you how I'm going to ruin so and so's life," I'm going to ruin so and so's life by offering ill-gotten gains, and then I'm going to tell on them when they take the money from the company they're not supposed to take. Well, why do they know that's going to work? Well, they know you've been stealing from the company. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn in Rick for cheating on his taxes. H- how would that work? Well, I'd have to be cheating on my taxes. Right, see, see when you re- when you let, let me tell you this, and we just talked about it. Adler and I are working, and Andy, we're working on the next curriculum for 2023. It's going to be called Impact, and and it's going to come out of Second Peter, uh, where he says supplement these things to your faith. And of course, the first one is virtue. So in, in Proverbs, and we were doing this yesterday, the, the the writer of this proverb says, for those of you that that are living a crooked life. 
For those of you that are living a double life, God is merciful, but at some point you're going to get caught. He's going to make sure you get caught. I cannot tell you, sadly, over the last you know, 28 years, and I came to know Christ 26 years ago, in those 26 years, how many times I've gotten the phone call or I've gotten the word that a man that I trusted that claimed to be a man of the faith was living a double life. But you know how I eventually found it out? It comes out. If you're going, if you're living a double life right now, if you're in this room and you're living a double life, we're going to know because God's not going to let you get away with it. He, he, he loves his son too much for you to walk around claiming to be redeemed and keep putting his son on the cross. He's not going to let you do that. He also, though, loves you so much that he's going to let it come out, so maybe it'll keep you from carrying that into the pits of hell. Might deliver you for it to come out. And, and, and one of the ways that, 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 that true repentance is is you to realize, realize that sin always matters, which we say. And if there's something that you're doing and something you're living that is in conflict and you don't think it's any big deal, that's the biggest problem. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with men who are living a double life, and the ones that don't do well are the ones that always minimize it the first time you ask them about it. I, I think I think uh, there was one, and I, I won't get into who it was. It, it I, I was – the person hurt the most wasn't me because I wasn't as, I wasn't as close to him as this person, but I remember the person saying the first time he confronted the the man who was having a, a double life, and he found out about the double life because of the FBI. And the man first said this was something that he had just kind of strayed a little bit in, and and the friend that was closer to the man than I was said to his friend. Uh, the FBI doesn't set up a sting operation on somebody who just had a rough day. Uh, they set a sting operation up on somebody who's living a double life. You know, and so um, you, you also got to come to grips with it. And and so Judah falls into this trap because Judah is living a life that would make him susceptible to traps. Uh, so let's live our life that we're not susceptible to a trap. You're not going to catch us in something that we don't do, right? It, 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 just be real careful when you're trying to walk that line of I, I wonder. I, you know, I know I'm saved by grace, and I know this. I just I, I'm just going to kind of play games with it because before you know it, in any any step you take away from the authority of Christ, you now have stepped out into an open field, and you're going to get devoured by the adversary. You better cling to him every single day. Speaking from experience, I, I know how quick I can drift, so I just cling to him. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. He, 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 he takes her, and he consummates uh, the relationship with her. Uh, he did not know it was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that, uh, that you may come into me? Now we're negotiating. I've heard that before. 17, he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. Uh, I, I'm not sure that that payment will still work in Vegas, but uh, at the time that must have been a, that must have been uh, um, appropriate. Uh, and uh, she said, "If you give me a pledge, 
until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She said, your signet. Now, this is what they, they used to sign stuff. This was to uh, – it's almost like she would say, give me your driver's license. Okay? Until I get the goat, I want your driver's license. So uh, he had the signet and uh, your your cord, which uh, you know was used to, to uh, go around the robe that he wore, and your staff that is in your hand. And the staffs of those days, too, were customized. It wasn't just some – you know, boilerplate staff, you, you, like you would say, oh, that's Rick's staff. I know it. He designs them this certain way. And it usually had something on there that showed who they were. So she basically says, I need three forms of identification. So so that, uh, so that you, you, you'll want these things back so I don't make sure I get my goat. Of course, why is, why is Tamar doing it, though? She's not doing it for payment. She's doing it that if she conceived this child she wanted to conceive, she was going to tell Judah it was his and he couldn't deny it. That's why she's doing it, okay? That's that's what this is all about. So um, she, um, if you look too, it's it's when you talk about what happens here. Moses later in the law of Moses, uh, if you want to write this down, Leviticus twenty twelve. This is important. Uh, Leviticus twenty twelve. Think about this. Now this is not, this is before that, but this shows you how serious this is to God. Listen to this about all this circus that is going on. Anyone who slept with their daughter-in-law would be put to death with her. And you know what the charge was? Are you ready for this? In the law of Moses, you read it for yourself in Leviticus 20.12. Do you know what they, why they said that we got to kill both of you? For causing confusion. You, 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 you're turning our, our family units upside down. This is, this is causing chaos. We can't have fathers sleeping with their daughter-in-laws and we won't allow it and when the law of moses is handed down from now on anybody that does this we're going to kill you and her you know unless it was rape then that would be different so um so anyway so um tamar has uh, has has is, is engaged at this time don't forget judah has promised uh shelah the youngest son to tamar so by their customs Okay, by their customs, she's engaged to this son. So not only was she the daughter-in-law of his oldest son, okay, and was once married to him, and then was supposed to be with Onan. She's been promised to the youngest son. So three three of his sons have all supposedly been connected to this this woman. Now, admittedly, he didn't know. He didn't go knowingly and sleep with his daughter-in-law. But still, you see how serious. God took that as he went forward in the law of Moses. So she she does what she has to do, and he gave her the three forms of identification. Um, so he gave them to her, and and uh, and then he, they did the deed, and she conceived by him. So she she did she got what she wanted. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on her garments of widowhood. So she, I'm no longer dressed like a prostitute. Now I'm back dressed like a widow. I've gone back undercover. Okay. So now let's get down uh, to to this as well. So one of the things that you're going to read next. Look, when Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite, that's Hurrah, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he couldn't find her. So keep in mind, Judah said, look, this is so shameful. I'm not going to take this goat back over there to some prostitute. I'm going to send my new buddy. First of all, again, be careful who you run around with. Don't, your new running buddy shouldn't be a Dolomite, okay? 
So anyway, so so he's like, look, I'll take the goat down there. I'll pay the prostitute. Okay, he's really holding him accountable. Okay, so um, he he asked the men of the place, verse twenty one, where is the cult prostitute? Under underline that, uh, who who was here at the roadside, and they said, no, no, no cult prostitute's been here. So when when you women. If if you look in the law of Moses here too, when when you had women that were doing this and sleeping with men when they were not married, in, in Deuteronomy twenty two twenty three and twenty four, um, they if they if if they married a man and claimed they were a virgin, and during the consummation of the marriage they found out that they that they had lied about that they would stone them. Now, again, if the woman had been raped, then they would stone the man who violated her to make her unpure for marriage. But if she did that of her own free will, they they would stone her. So engaged women also would be stoned with the man who did the deed. Now, she's engaged to his youngest son. So you you see all this, what what Judah's doing, later on God is saying, look, all of this I'm not going to tolerate so Judah calls for her, when, when you see what happens next, the reason why you need to know that, look what happens next. Now, the cult prostitute, what that meant is there were many of the pagan worship things that went on in Canaan, and, and they had cult prostitutes who would be part of these orgies and all this stuff and worshiping uh, you know, these false gods. And to make a little money on the side, they go out there and sleep with other people for money as well, but they were part of this cult worship. So keep in mind that actually means – that Judah didn't know whether she was a cult prostitute or not. That didn't bother him either. I mean, part of pagan worship. So, so keep that in mind. Um, so he returned to Judah and he said, I, I am founder. Uh, also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has even been there. And Judah replied, look, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. You know what we say now? Look, let's stop all this. I'm going to be the laughing stock of, of town if I've gone and slept with some cult prostitute and she's took all my stuff, just let her have it, and I just want this thing to be over. Okay, so he's embarrassed now, but there was no shame whatsoever when he actually took the proposition. So af- after about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. So three months later, now she's come out, hey, I'm pregnant, okay? Now now listen to the hypocrisy here. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. <laughs> Boy, you talk about somebody that is delusional about their own sin. Suddenly now he's on his high horse that uh, this daughter-in-law of his has been immoral with somebody. And how dare her do that? to his son, so he wants her burned. Now, the reason why this is th- this particular punishment, in Leviticus 21.9, it said, now think about how Judah sees himself right now because, you know, he he is one of, um, you know, he's one of Jacob's sons. Uh, so Leviticus 21.9 said, if a priest's daughter is found to be loose, meaning she was sexually immoral, they would burn her. So if you were the daughter of a priest and and you were not a virgin and you were sexually immoral, 
and you've been sleeping around with a bunch of men, they would burn you. So he's calling for the punishment for his daughter-in-law that you would give for a priest's daughter who had been immoral. Uh, Judah is furious. He's indignant. Now think about the hypocrisy of this. How many times have we seen men that they, they, they get on their high horse about women behaving like tramps, but if they themselves or their sons are sleeping with every girl in town, they don't have a problem with that at all? You talk about a double standard. My sons and I can run around this place betting women left and right, but how dare you be found to be immoral, my daughter-in-law? Have you ever? I've noticed dads a lot of times they're embarrassed to think about their daughters being loose, but they're not embarrassed about their sons being loose. Their sons live like a bunch of hounds, and that doesn't seem to bother them. That's a real double standard. I mean, God said for men and women to be sexually pure, not just women. But we certainly treat it differently, don't we? But that's but that's wrong. I mean, we're nodding, but let's not do that. Let let's be just as mortified if our sons are sexually immoral as we would be if our daughters were. I mean, it's the same thing. We're all called to be sexually pure. Doesn't mean it can't be forgiven, but don't give a pass and a little wink wink to your son who's bedded a bunch of women, but get on your daughter because she's dressed like like inappropriately and you ask her if she's going out there acting like a tramp. It's just as embarrassing for your son or daughter to act that way. But you see the double standard with Judah. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, we'll burn her right here at the stake. But he's about to get a little shut-up juice uh, because um, uh, next, as she was brought out, she sent word to the father-in-law, by the man whom this belongs, I am pregnant. Boy, she's got her three forms of identification. She knew she knew how women were treated in this culture, so she was ready. She was like, I know what's going to happen. They're going to try to throw me under the bus. And, I, and my, and my father-in-law is going to go crazy about me being pregnant. He didn't give me the son he said he was going to give me. He hasn't treated me well. His other son acted like I was a baron. God's killed him, he ki- and he killed his other son, and now suddenly he's on the high horse that I'm the one that's wicked? He put me in this situation by not doing right by me. Now, I'm not justifying what she did, but you can see that she has a case that you've been the problem the whole time, and you'll actually see repentance coming, which is actually something that's going to be. Uh... And and you know what the trap that that Tamar set was, and we say it in here all the time. You 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 can talk about this trap all you want to. You know how she was able to set the trap. You know what the bait was, sin. So if you're gonna catch so and so, what 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 kind of what, what kind of bait you gonna put on the trap, sin. He'll come nosing around to it. I, I, we, we kid all the time about when certain foods come in here, we'll make a joke about this, and we'll 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 tie it to deer hunting because we like to deer hunt. And I and I will and I will say like if uh, I know how Greg is about pound cake, my brother, and I said I tell you one thing, if I was hunting you, I'd just set up over some pound cake. <laughs> you know, and I, and I said as soon as you came out in the clear, and I'd put you down because I know you're coming. So so back to what I said a minute ago. So what bait would somebody just simply have to put on the trap to catch you and me? Tamar knew what to put out there, and it worked. And so um, listen to this. 
And as she brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man who these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify who these are, the signet, the cord, and the staff. Now look at 26. I told you that this chapter was going to also show us that God's working on Judah. Okay? He loves us enough that he, he's going to work on us. And he'll do whatever he's got to do to get our attention. Then Judah, and he gets credit here, he identified them and said, she is more righteous than I am since I did not give her my son, Shalab. See, that, that's repentance. You don't see Judah here make an excuse and say, well, those aren't mine. I don't know why she's doing this. He knows exactly why she did it. You know what he says? She's more righteous than I am. Look at the man that I am, and look at the position I put her in. I told her I was going to give her another, my son. I believed on him when he said she was barren, when I knew that wasn't true. I've caused this whole thing. Isn't that a breath of fresh air? Do y'all realize how hard it is now to get anybody to say, that's my fault? You know, victimhood has become, I mean, it, I never thought I would live long enough to people, people desire to be a victim. But nothing's anybody's fault anymore. Nobody takes ownership of their sin. But that's what we have to do to truly repent. Remember what I told you, what, what, what Watson said true repentance was? It was the vomiting of the soul. Repentance is, is acknowledging this is on me. I am the problem. I caused this. My leadership led to the problems in this house. My leadership led to the problems with my children. My leadership led to this woman doing something that was so demoralizing because of the way I have lived. This is my fault. And God forgives the one that says this is my fault. I am the problem. I caused this. I'm telling you, I, 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 I was dealing with it at the office of the day, and it was just such a breath of fresh air. There was some a date or something that, that wasn't right, and I wasn't sure about it, and I know my own shortcomings. And I said, you know what? We may have the wrong date up there. I may have written that down wrong. And it was so refreshing for one of the staff uh, and, and, and to walk up and say, that's not your fault. You gave me the right date. I'm the one to put the wrong date out there. You know, it's so rare to hear that anymore. I was just kind of like, wow, that was that was refreshing. Because he could have easily said, well, he thinks it might be on him too. I'm just going to let it slide. Because I was taking responsibility of it because I thought, well, I'm getting older. I may have, I may have transposed the numbers or whatever. And, and to have somebody say, no, that I did that. It was my responsibility. You gave me the right information, and I put the wrong information out. And you know what I said? Okay, well, let's just, let's just correct it. And that's where God is. Just I already know what you did. Just tell me. Just admit it. Admit that you're wrong. Admit that, I, that, and I'll forgive you. And so Judah does. And you see God working on Judah. You, you see him working on Judah. And then he did not know her again, meaning she got the baby, 
He left her alone after that. And when the time of labor came, there were twins in her womb. We've been here before, haven't we? And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread on the hand. Now, why is that? That's important because the midwife is the one that makes the call. This one's first, so this is the heir, okay? And they would tie that scarlet because the baby sometimes might look similar when they're newborn, and you know which one was the one. The midwife said that's the first one that came out. But in this case, uh, the hand went back in uh, to the womb, and to the birth canal, uh, and and she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Uh, and, uh, of course, that means uh, breach. Afterwards, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. So Perez, even though Zerah put the hand out first and got the scarlet, he pulled it back in, and then Perez was born before him. And the midwife said, "Whoa, what a breach you are!" And who? And Perez goes right into the line of, to Jesus. And when you see that in Matthew one three, you see Perez. You go, "Ah, I know how that happened." So, so what? What's all of our our, our takeaways here? Well, first of all, we got to own our sin. There's no doubt about that. But um, these twins that are born here from all this are echoes of Jacob and Esau. Perez carries the line now, and, uh, and, and we know why he ends up in the divine record. But here's what we also know. I, I, I love this. <laughs> Even though the rule was that the baby st- sticks out the hand and you put the, uh, the ribbon on it, that baby usually comes out first, but this time it didn't, which was abnormal. And even the midwife goes, wow, this baby. If you think we're going to take our human rules and make God abide by them, he doesn't abide by our rules. Our rules are flawed. He does whatever he's going to do, and God elevates the line of Judah even with all the issues. God is still going to do wonderful things. And and I hope that even though it can get kind of hard in here sometimes, I want you to know that those of us in here, no matter what we've all been through, God does not quantify everybody's situation here saying, well, some of you I can use, some of you I can't. As you can see, don't ever allow the adversary to whisper in your ear, you've done so many bad things. You've made so many mistakes. You've messed this thing up, and God can never use you. Person after person after person in Scripture clearly shows us that sin always matters, but it also shows you that God is going to see his promises through, and he has used a lot of folks that are as flawed or even more flawed than you or me. As you all have heard me say many times, and I said it again this past weekend, when we got down to the time of decision, I said if we were going to have a playoff in here, I would probably be the champion of all the sinful people in this room, and God has redeemed me, and if he can redeem me, redeeming you will not be a problem. And um, you think about when Jesus was given the 
when he was telling the parable about uh, you know the debt that was paid off, and he asked all these Pharisees and he asked all these people, who do you think appreciates the one that paid the debt for them, the one who had the greater debt or the one who had the smallest debt? And, of course, all these people said, well, common sense, the one who had the greater debt. Right. And I do love him because I know that he paid a great debt for me. And you're going to see as we move forward, and we'll jump back into the narrative of Joseph next week, Lord willing, you're going to see that Judah had all kinds of problems, but God is working on him to make him worthy of God's correct decision to make him the royal line. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for the message, and thank you for all the takeaways that we have from this today. I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to mold us into people that only you can accomplish. I'm so thankful for these men that have, some of them have been sitting down together with me and studying the Word of God for over eight years now, and, and then others that are new and somewhere in between. Lord, I don't know what's going on out there as you have allowed this technology of streaming and archiving and recording to be so simplified that anybody can hear and see from you. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you use these things to pierce the hearts of people that we may never even know that you're dealing with. And those that may need help, Lord, I pray that you'll prompt them to reach out and then give us the wisdom we need to point them to the help that only you provide. In your name we pray, amen. So if you need me, uh, rick at burgessministries.com. Thanks for being with us this week.